Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. So what is your most importantest belief? What is your most fun belief? What are the principles that guide how you live your life? These are the questions we're exploring as we look at the core values of Unity of Fairfax in this five-week series we started last week. And we're doing this series not only to remind ourselves of who we are as a community here at Unity of Fairfax, but to encourage each one of us to really examine our own core values. What are they? Do your homework. Your homework is to find three of them, as was shared earlier in our children's lesson from Miss Wolf. So I want to do a reminder of core values. You know, we all have them. Sometimes they are explicit, like we have here at Unity of Fairfax. We've identified them, and we're exploring them. Sometimes they are implicit. We, we have them. They're kind of de facto, but we really haven't put a name on them. Last week, we used as an example from our Declaration of Independence here in our country that all men are created equal, and we say all people, so equality, and the uh, opportunity to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. Those are core values. They're kind of implicit. And then we all have some that are unconscious. We haven't really taken time to think about it, but they are there. And so if you fall in that category and you really haven't explored your core values, this series is just for you. So we uh, shared last week our five core values, and we have a listing of them, spirit-centered, peace, Inclusive, integrity, love, and action. They're the same ones in our children's ministry as well. And so as we shared during the children's lesson, well, Miss Wolf shared, we teach these to our young folk as well. And there is a really powerful experience of being able to take these lofty ideas and concretize them so that children can understand them. Yes, that even includes the adult children. So not sure which part of today's lesson will be most relevant for you, but uh, encourage you to go back and watch the Zoomies if you missed it, if you're joining us late today. So last week, we explored our first core value, spirit-centered. And the tagline we have for that is, we turn to spirit for guidance and active communication. And we looked a little bit at the implied uh, parts of that experience. One, spirit is an animated something. It's alive. It is life itself. And we talked about the fact that spirit is positive. After all, we're looking forward to it, looking to it for guidance. And we even define spirit as omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, perfect life, perfect love, and perfect substance. We sometimes call that omni three and perfect P, 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 like that. We talked about the fact that the spirit is aware of us because we are actively communicating with this principle that is life itself. We talked about that its will for us is good. And I reminded everybody, as Reverend uh, David Owen Ritz has said, God's will for us is absolute good. The details, though, are up to us. And we talked about the fact that each one of us has the inherent capacity to intuit or see or hear or experience this wisdom. And sometimes it comes to us as ideas from out of the blue. My friend, Reverend Diane Scribner-Clevenger, often refers to the name of God as out of the blue, or the name of the Spirit. And there are two challenges with that core value. 
Will we recognize Spirit's wisdom when it comes, as opposed to our own ego desire? And will we act on it? And will we do the thing that comes to us, which might be new or uncomfortable or lead to conflict? Because sometimes doing something new leads to conflict. And talk to anybody who has given up a destructive habit. They probably have friends who are active in that destructive habit who will wonder and say things like, well, you're no fun anymore. What got into you? Well, spirit-centered divine guidance got into me, which is actually a nice segue as we come to our core value of peace. Because ironically, as it may seem, often the creation of peace means encountering conflict. So in our core value of peace, there is the tagline that goes like this. And, and these taglines were created by this community several years ago. And who knows, we may want to revisit them sometime in the near future when we're all here together in person and virtually. We'll do both. We are both and kind of community. So the tagline is, as spirit bearers of spirit's divine inspiration, we are the peace we hope to see in the world. So let's unpack that and see what is implied in this tagline. Well, one is a reminder that we are in relationship with this spirit because we are carrying divine inspiration. It is the truth of who we are. Number two, it is our calling to share this inspiration with the world. You know, we are bearing Spirit's divine inspiration to the world. Number three, I've been trying to suppress a belch, I apologize. Number three, we are peace incarnate, whether we know it or not. Because sometimes I don't seem to realize that about myself. And yet there's this deep knowing beyond my ego stuff and my personality stuff that knows I am peace incarnate. It is part of my divine inheritance as a creation of spirit. And the last one is kind of obvious. We are not necessarily seeing peace in the world. With all the social unrest we've experienced with such things as assault on the federal government, uh, the pandemic, and all the other facts in the world that you read about in the newspaper or you see in your social media fields, uh, social media feeds. That's right. Thank you, Sharon. She's a social media queen. It kind of seems like a heavy burden to, to, to bear, doesn't it? Amy, it seems like a heavy burden to bear. Well, I'm tired and so weary, but I must go along till the Lord comes and calls me away. Well, the morning is bright and the Lamb is the light and the night the night is as fair as the day. Mm-hmm. Sing it, sister. Wow. You ever feel like when you read the newspaper and see your social media feeds, it's like, holy Toledo, what am I supposed to do with that? It can kind of feel like a tsunami of facts. Well, there's no mistake in the fact there is brokenness in the world. And thanks again to our 24-hour news cycle as well. It's nearly impossible to escape all the crazy and insanity. 
And it really seems like it's getting worse, doesn't it? But is it really getting worse? Or is part of the problem we have our collective infobesity? You know, too much information, too often consumed. I mean, we stew and worry, or at least, well, I have been known to do so, and I'm going to project. We stew and worry over the breaking news and the instant headlines and the red banners that come on during the newscast. And sometimes it can feel overwhelming processing it all. Am I really to be Spirit's divine inspiration to all of this? What can I do of just one person? Maybe you felt the same way. Or maybe that's only me at three in the morning sometimes. Well, there's hope. In unity, we consider Jesus, as we say, to be the great example, not the great exception of being a bearer of Spirit's divine inspiration in the world or, and being an example of peace in the world. In fact, one of the titles assigned to him in the scriptures is the Prince of Peace. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he sat on a rock and was never disturbed by the facts of the day. He didn't just sit there and all was well and all was good and he never got discombobulated. Consider what the author of Matthew has Jesus say in the chapter 23. <clears throat> I'm going to use a little hyperbole here. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cut people out of the kingdom of heaven. You don't even go in yourselves, and when others are going in, you stop them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cross the sea and land to make a single convert, and you make the new convert twice as much a child of hell as you are. Lord. And it gets, he goes on, he goes, uh, he goes on, and that, and on, and on, and on, and he's wailing on the scribes and the Pharisees of his day. And these are the leaders, the spiritual leaders of his time, who were also in collusion with the Romans, but that's a whole different story. He's just letting them have it. He's kind of unrelenting. Oh, and then think about this experience from, also from Matthew chapter 21. This is what the author of Matthew says. Then Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Part of that is because at that time, ritual animal, animal sacrifice was a part of the Jewish religion. Just, it's not that way anymore. So here's Jesus, public nuisance number one. It's like, jeepers, creepers. Oh, oh, but it gets better. It gets better. And this is the last example I'm going to use. Again, Matthew chapter 21, and here's a story that the author repeats. And seeing a fig tree by the side of the road, he went to it and found nothing at all on it but leaves. Then he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Now, in the context of the story, it's revealed figs were out of season at that time. Lord, maybe we should reconsider this title, Prince of Peace. And there are plenty of other examples in Matthew and the other Gospels that highlighted this sort of behavior. It puts us in an interesting conundrum then, doesn't it? Does this abrogate his position as the great example of peace? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say it shows his humanity. Anger is a part of our humanity. We are told he was both human and divine. Hey, same as you and me. Whether or not we know that, that's our belief. 
And anger is a part of humanity. It's part of the human experience. If you don't experience anger, you probably have much better meds than I do. Just kidding. Don't send a note to the board. Anger, when appreciated, and we do have to appreciate it, it's a part of our experience. If it's a part of our experience, then our foundational teaching says there must be a blessing in it if we are willing to find the blessing. So anger can be fuel for great and constructive change that can eliminate such things as barriers to equality and peace and life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. It's energy that says, do something, something's amiss. And it can be a catalyst for change in our own lives and our own behaviors and beliefs. And it's not a bad thing. It's an uncomfortable thing, especially if you're experiencing somebody else's or your own, and you're not comfortable with it, this guy. And it can be handled unskillfully. And my bet is that each and every one of us has encountered a time in our own lives or with somebody else who was handling man anger unskillfully. So it's important to understand it and to lean into it with care. You know, and I will posit that I think there's another reason why Jesus and you and I become so irritable and irate sometimes not the only reason, but there's another key reason that we get angry and then we get out of peace and we forget that we are bearers of inspiration. We forget that we are peace in the world. And it's this, poor self-care. And in other words, Jesus may have been tired and burned out. You might have been tired and burned out. Amy might have been tired and burned out. Oh, yeah. So make no mistake about it, folks. All great reformers and healers and bearers of Spirit's divine inspiration, which is you and I, in our age and in ages past have all encountered and are encountering great opposition and conflict in one way, shape, or form or another. Because the status quo does not like change. As we mentioned last week uh, in Newton's Law of, of, of Physics, a body at rest tends to stay at rest. It doesn't want to change. It doesn't want to get off the couch. And so there's resistance, whether getting off the couch of an attitude or just making change in the world. And we will all experience opposition and conflict at some point or another in our lives, and sometimes for protracted and prolonged periods and experience fatigue and burnout or pandemic fatigue. That's why I mentioned earlier the, the experience of the trauma of this experience will, will be with us for a while. Not insurmountable. But let's just be aware that it will be with us for a while. And again, the treatment and the prevention at the same time is self-care. Self-care in the form of rest, 
That's why the idea of Sabbath is ingrained in our spiritual consciousness. It's engaged, it's, it takes the form of renewal, taking the time to step away from it all and, and be creative. It takes the form of relaxation, getting a massage, taking a nap. It takes the form of rejuvenation, learning something new. Rejuvenation comes from the word to become young again, to learn from children, to play. And yes, to have fun. Have fun. So many times as adults, as I, at least for me anyway, I think I need to be busy, I need to be giving, I need to be sharing, I need to be doing meaningful things all the time. That gets boring after a while. I need to have fun, I need to play. Lighten up just a bit. Hey, I just took a three-month sabbatical, and I did all these things. But I have to admit, one of the reasons why I needed that sabbatical, just one of many reasons, I'd gotten, well, let's just say, unbalanced in my self-care. True confessions, unbalanced in my self-care. I love my job. I love what we do. And, and many people in the clergy get unbalanced because there's always another call to serve and something to give. So it's key for clergy for church staffs to uh, take care of self-care, just as it is as important for airline passengers. Do you remember airline flight? Do you remember we used to go places and get on planes and sit for a long time like this? Um, yeah, and remember the, the flight attendant would say, in the event of an emergency, give yourself the oxygen mask first. Yeah. It's another way of saying each one of us must remember to make ourselves a priority. Yes, even if you have kids and a spouse and an aging parent and a neighbor and a dog and a cat, whatever you're taking care of, oh, and a full-time job and the part-time job, we all must put ourselves in our own equation so that we can do what's ours to do and remember that we are peace incarnate and we have divine inspiration to offer the world. And putting ourselves in our own equation is not selfishness. It's survival. It's thrival. And it requires discipline. And here's an example of how that same Prince of Peace addressed that. It comes from the book of Luke. And this is what the author says. Yet the news about him spread all the more. So that crowds of people came to him to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The key word in this sentence for me, oh, don't strike me dead, is not the word prayed. It's the word often. He, my guess is he made his self-care, in this case, regular prayer, a discipline, a priority that he did for himself so that he could continue to do for others so that when he did start shaking his finger and turning over tables and that sort of thing, he could go back and realize why was he doing those things to connect with the peace and the vision that he wanted to bring to the world of the kingdom that welcome included everybody. I found a few words from an author named Tammy Foreman I'd like to share with you about this idea of often and self-care as a discipline that would allow you to continue to know who you truly are. She says, if we're being honest, self-care is actually quite boring. 
which is why self-care is a discipline. Not really sure I agree with that because fun to me is not boring, but I see where she's going. She's talking about making it a discipline, something you do regularly, like go to the gym and not eat the second helping of mashed potatoes. It takes discipline to do the things that are good for us instead of what feels good in the moment. And when she says feels good, I'm thinking of the thing that is easy. Somebody asked one more thing. It's just easier to say yes than to say no. As somebody who's spent a lot of energy learning to use the letters N and O together, it takes a lot of discipline to say no when it might be simpler or faster just to say yes and do the thing. She goes on to say it takes even more discipline to refuse to take responsibility for someone else's emotional well-being. And it takes discipline to take full and complete responsibility for our own well-being. And often he went apart to pray. Often he went apart to give himself the oxygen mask. To be the peace we hope to see in the world and to create it for others and set that space where it can happen means we must take responsibility for our own self-care, for our minds, for our spirits, and yes, for our bodies. And we must do this every day. We must make it conscious and intentional. And yes, even in the press of all of our work and family and social responsibilities, this is doable when we make it a conscious priority. You know, simple, small decisions have a cumulative effect. So there are little things that we can do. If we know we're going to get up and have an intention to work out in the morning, pass on that second glass of wine the night before. We could replace one hour of news or a half hour of news with recreational or inspirational reading. That's what I did a lot of while I was away. We could make our periods of prayer and meditation as important as, we every, as brushing our teeth. So why not make a connection? I'm brushing my teeth. I want to give myself 15 minutes just to charge. We can even go so far, and this might seem radical, to put on our calendars a standing daily meeting with ourselves. It's right there. It's built into the calendar. When somebody says, hey, can I meet with you at such and such a time, or can we do this? You can look and say, oh, I've got an appointment. I can't move right then. Can we meet another time? That's a nice way of using the word no without having to say no. So it's like, I've got a standing meeting. Or, if you're really courageous, just say no. Say no to whatever the next thing is that's offered to you. And to repeat, and this is where we want to kind of close in things. You and I and the organizations to which we belong are called to develop discipline around self-care so that we can be the peace we wish to see in the world. You and I and the organizations that we belong to, like this one, cannot be all things to all people all the time and do everything everybody wants when they want it, even if they are all perfectly good things to do and be. That's the quick recipe for the loss of clarity, the development of resentment, and burnout. I think we all have been there. Let's not go back. So let's be bearers of Spirit's divine inspiration to the world and be the hope we, have to see, we hope to see in the world. 
And so I'm going to ask Amy one more time, would you be willing to switch up that song just a little bit to give it more oomph and make it present? There is peace in the valley for me today. There is peace in the valley for me. Oh Lord, I pray there is no sadness. To that I say, amen and namaste, y'all. It is good to be back. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate your donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.